Well, in the book of 1 Kings, we read about a time when the king of Israel, King Ahab, the most wicked king up until that time that Israel had ever had, and he had married Jezebel, who was a pagan uh, uh, priestess, actually, of the of the false god of, called Baal, and uh, they had uh, attempted to eliminate belief in the true God throughout all of Israel. They had uh, killed the prophets. They had uh, uh, torn down the altars. They had, what we'd say, to, uh, shut down the churches, maybe if we wanted to put it in today's terms. And, uh, and it looked like uh, the, the knowledge of God was going to just be eliminated throughout all the land. And the land was going to become a, uh, uh, a worshiper of this pagan, non-existent idol called Baal. And uh, to this king, God sent a prophet. His name was Elijah. Elijah announced to him, there's not going to be any rain in the land until I say so. And then he left. Three years have passed. Really closer to three and a half years have passed. It has not rained a drop in Israel. There has been no dew in the morning. And every stream has dried up. The only water available was water that is either salt water from the Mediterranean Sea or deep wells that they were still able to find some water. And so the people were in desperate situations. And then God told Elijah, it's time for another visit to Ahab. And uh, you might think that when Elijah showed up, Ahab would just kill him right on the spot. I've, I've tried to think about why, why he didn't do that. And, of course, the main reason is that God protected Elijah. But then I think, too, Elijah had said to Ahab, it's not going to rain until I say so. So you just don't want to kill the one who can say so. Because that might mean it never rain again. So Ahab goes out to meet Elijah. And Elijah says to him in verse 19 of chapter 18. Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel. And the 450 prophets of Baal. And the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. And so, the next verse says, So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel. And by the way, they all came. I mean, word went out everywhere what was going to take place. Elijah is confronting the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel and all of Israel, maybe not every individual, but people came from everywhere because they wanted to see what was going to happen. And uh, let's see. Yeah, verse 20. Okay, verse 21. And Elijah came near to all the people 
And he said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, then follow him. And if Baal, then follow him. The people did not answer a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Now, I just want to say, there has always been two sides. Did you know that? There's always been an adversary from, the, from whenever it was that Satan rebelled against God. There has always been two sides. And it has always appeared that the side of evil has outnumbered the side of God. And even in our day, if you look around the world today, it looks like, you know, just from a standpoint of, of who is the stronger, we would have to say that there is much more evil represented in our culture today than there is good. And there has always been a contest between the true God and the false gods of every age. I mean, uh, Pharaoh, I mean, Moses had his Pharaoh and all the gods of Egypt. And all through the Bible, we have the contest between the true and living God and the false gods of every age. And we have that today as well. We have that today. So, Elijah said to the people in verse 23, let two bulls be given to us. Let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire on it. And I will prepare the other bull and I will lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God with a little g, and I will call upon the name of the Lord, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, okie dokie. It is well spoken. That's a, we're, we're, we're all in on this. And then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bull, prepare it first, for you are many. Call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. So here's the arrangement. He says, we're going to each set up a sacrifice. And you're going to take a... Uh, by the way, I told you last week, I tell you that Baal was the god of the, of the storm, the lightning bolt. And, but he also was the god of fire. He was the god of fire and rain. He was the God of the storm, the lightning God. And so the idea that this ought to be easy for him. And uh, so he said, I tell you what, you take, you, you take a bull, I'll take one, and you're going to get it all set, ready, put it up on your altar. Then later I'll put my uh, sacrifice on the altar, and we're going to just see which God can answer. And the one that answers by fire. That'll be the true God. And all the people said, That's, that sounds reasonable to us. And so they took the bull that was given to them, 
And they prepared it, and they called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon. So this is probably about three hours. And they were crying out, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice. Why was there no voice? Because the idols have a mouth, the Bible says, but they cannot speak. And no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. They were doing all this. They have this altar, the bull, the wood, and everything's on there. The bull is laying on the wood. And they are crying out, 450 of them now. They're crying out, oh, Baal, hear us, hear us, oh, Baal, hear us. Oh, Baal, hear us, hear us. No sound, no voice, and no fire. And so they are going around the altar. It says they were limping around the altar. And uh, I kind of take that to be kind of like a dance, some kind of a fire dance they were doing. And, uh, uh, and at noon, now they've been doing this for three hours. And I, I love this next part. It's a little sassy. But I kind of like this part. And Elijah said, uh, Cry louder, for he's a God. You know, you, you, need to, you need to really, really cry out loud because he's your God, and either he is musing, maybe he's off somewhere thinking about something, or he's relieving himself, maybe he's gone to the bathroom, or he's on a journey, maybe he's taking a trip somewhere, or maybe he's asleep. And he needs to be awakened. Now, you would think that the prophets would have kind of been offended at the insult that Elijah had just given their God. But look at the next verse. And so they cried louder. (laughs) They said, oh, good idea. I hadn't thought about that. And so they began to shout and scream. And then they took up stones and they began to cut themselves and Blood gushed out upon them. They said, Baal, look, you see, we're really serious about this. And so they took their knives, their swords, their lances, and and they began to cut themselves, and they were bleeding all over the place. And uh, as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. That's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. The first thing that he did was he took the altar that had been destroyed by the Baal worshipers and he repaired it. And I think there's probably even a message just in that, that we need to repair the altar in our own heart, in our own land. And then Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord came saying, Israel shall be your name. 
And with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And then he made a trench around the altar as great as would contain two seahs of seed. This is two, it would be like about six bushels of seed. In other words, he dug a, a trench all around the altar, made a, a, like a, a place for a moat. And he put the wood in order, and he cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And then he said, uh, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And they must have thought, uh, hey, you know, water is a little bit scarce right now. So maybe they got, by the way, this is over, Mount Carmel is close to the Mediterranean Sea, so maybe they had supplies of water from the sea. And so they, they did it. And then he said, now, do it again. And they did it a second time. He said, now do it a third time. And they did it a third time. By the way, how many jars of water is that? That's 12, isn't it? One for each of the tribes of Israel. And they poured the water on the bull, on the wood, and the water ran around the altar, and it filled the trench with water. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near, and he said, well, it's a short prayer. Jesus said, uh, the Pharisees think they'll be heard for their long prayers and their loud prayers. It's not the prayer of volume or the prayer of length that God is interested in. It's the prayer of faith. And Elijah said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, that you have turned their hearts back. That's just a simple prayer. I don't know how loud he said it. He may have said it loud enough that the people all around him could hear it, but he wasn't talking to the people. In the book of James, we're told that Elijah was a man of like passion, just like us. He's he just like us. But he fervently prayed, and God heard his prayer. And then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. It's like God said, uh, I'm just wanting to show off a little today. I, I'm not going to just send enough fire down to burn up the offering that you've put on the altar. I'm going to burn up the altar. And I'm going to burn up the wood. And I'm going to burn up the water around the altar. And the fire fell. And when the people saw it, they fell on their faces. And they said, 
the Lord. He is God. Yahweh, he is God. And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon, and he slaughtered them there. By the way, the, from the very beginning, the idea was that if Baal answers, Elijah will die. But if God answers Elijah, the prophets of Baal will die. Now, this amazing story reminds me that God answers by fire. And as I've been studying this this week, I've been praying, God, send your fire in my heart, in our church, across our land. The fire of God, as you study all through the Bible, you find that God represents himself by fire. When, uh, when Moses was tending his sheep, he saw a bush that was aflame with fire. And he drew near to that flame, and God was in the bush. The Bible said God's fire. God was present. When God began to lead the children of Israel out, he says that every night there will be a flame of fire that will circle over the tent of meeting, and during the day a cloud, a fiery cloud. God's fire represents the presence of God. But it also represents the consuming fire of God's judgment. And on this particular day, when all the prophets of Baal confronted Elijah there, God said, I will demonstrate that I'm the true God by consuming with fire the offering that is there. And the Bible tells us that our God is a consuming fire. In Hebrews 12, 29, it just says our God is a consuming fire. He's also a God who will consume with fire when he returns. Listen to this passage in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 through 10. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who believe, have believed because our testimony to you was believed. Jesus is coming again. And the Bible says when he comes, he will come in flaming fire. And it's not surprising that the Bible describes the place of eternal punishment for those who've rejected Christ as a place of fire. And I know we sometimes hear preachers made fun of who preach about hell fire and judgment and the person in the Bible who preached the most about hell was Jesus himself. He actually said more about hell than he did about heaven. 
And it is a real place. And people ask me, well, do you think it'll be real fire in hell? I believe it'll be a fire worse than any fire that we've ever experienced. It is a fearful thing, the Bible says, to fall into the hands of the living God and to be judged by him. Now, people say to me, well, I just don't think you ought to talk about hell. It's not right to try to scare people into heaven. Well, friend, I'd rather be scared into heaven than lulled into hell, wouldn't you? And yes, it is a real place. And it's a place of torment that we can't even imagine. About 45 years ago, Roger's friend, he had a good friend named Delta Fish. And uh, y'all were about, what, 15? 15, 16 years old. They were working on a car, and Delta washed his hands with some gasoline. And then as he leaned over the engine again, somehow or another a spark ignited that gasoline on his hands. And his hands and his face, his hair, just all went up in flames. And I don't remember all of the details about it, but I know that they finally got the fire put out and got him to the hospital. And I remember going to see him. I was with him there in the hospital. And when they were doing what they called debreeding, where they were scraping the burned skin off, he was screaming. And he saw me standing there in the doorway of the emergency room, and he was calling. I said, Nick, make them stop. Make them stop. And, uh, and then the next day, I went to the hospital to see him, and he said, uh, could you get me some water? He said, I can't get enough water. He said, I believe you could put a hose in my mouth, and I could not get enough water. I gave him a drink and another drink and another drink. And when I left the hospital that day, I thought of the rich man who died and went to hell and was in torment in the flames. And he said, Father Abraham, please, could you just send Lazarus so that he could just dip his finger in some water and just, just a drop of water on my tongue and I just uh, trembled as I thought about how I had just left a man who said I can't get enough water screaming in, in pain because of the flames that he'd experienced and I sat out in my car and I wept and prayed and said God help us take seriously the fact that what this young man has experienced is nothing compared to what those who reject Christ and die without his salvation of grace will experience. Not for a few days, but forever, forever, forever. And the worst thing about hell well, there's so many worse things about hell. But one thing is that it never ends. God said those who are there can never come here. It's eternal. It's 
everlasting fire where the flame never dies and never is quenched. The consuming fire of God's judgment on sin. And you say, well, boy, that just sounds severe. I'll tell you why it is severe. It's because to insult the God who created you and who sent his son to die on a cross for you and for you to say no to such a gift and such an offer is more than high treason against heaven. And God says the judgment for such offense is eternal fire. And so God's fire falls on those who have sinned against him. So then how, how could we ever escape? Because there was one who had no sin and he came and hanging on a cross the fire of God's eternal wrath fell on him. And while Jesus was hanging on that cross, the fire of the wrath of God was burning on him like you and I can never imagine. And it is no wonder that he cried out, Oh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because in that moment, while your sin and my sin was on him, and while the wrath and the fire of God's judgment was burning on him, Not only were the skies dark, but there was a block between the Father and the Son that had never, ever been there before. How wonderful to know that once that was done at the end, just before Jesus died, he didn't say, my God, but he said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And all the penalty had been paid the next to the last word that he spoke on the cross it is finished the debt is paid the wrath of God has been satisfied for all those who will trust in me so God is a consuming fire and it represents the fire of God and and one one other place that the fire of God is represented is in revival fire revival fire on the day of Pentecost when the disciples were gathered together and they had prayed and waited and were seeking the will of God for their future for their lives the Bible says and suddenly there was a mighty the sound of a mighty rushing wind and flames of fire sat over the head of every one of the disciples. Fire is coming. Judgment fire is coming. Fire has fallen on Christ for those who trust in him. But what we need most today in our lives, in my life, in your life, in our church, in our churches, and in our land is for a fresh outpouring of the fire of God's Holy Spirit to consume all the 
lesser things in our life and ignite us with a flame of revival and renewal. And my prayer this week as I've been studying this passage, just been day by day, God, send your fire. Send your fire. And just as surely as Elijah stood back and said, God, I want you to prove that you're the true and living God. I want you to demonstrate and to show these people that the idols of this world have no ears to hear, no mouth to speak, no eyes to see, but that you do hear and you do speak. Let your fire fall. And the fire came down. And that's what I pray today. God, send your fire. Now, we'll not have to fear the fire of God's judgment because Jesus took that for us if you put your trust in him. But what I fear is the coldness of our hearts. And the Bible says that in the last days, men's hearts will grow cold because of their love for this world, the things of this world. And I pray that God will ignite in each of us a new passion, a new fire, and to be able to cry out, Oh God, send your fire. Let the fire fall. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we draw near to you today with this simple prayer. Send revival fire in our hearts, in our church, across our land, and around our world. The contest today is as stark as the contest between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. While there are many, many more on the other side, we know that when we stand with you, we are a majority. And I pray today for you to send the fire, revival fire, in my heart and in our church and in our life. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website, www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week and may the Lord richly bless you.